Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Healthy Gut Podcast with Rebecca Coombs, the place where you can learn how to achieve a happy, healthy gut. Here's what's coming up on today's show. Welcome to episode 54 of the Healthy Gut Podcast. And today I'm joined by Linda Griparich, who is a naturopath, nutritionist, writer, and yoga teacher with over 15 years of experience in the health industry. Linda specializes in constipation and gut health. She has extensive experience in running healthy, effective, and sustainable bowel care programs and has expertise in investigating and treating the underlying causes of gut disturbance. She has an intense interest in poo and she's also the creator of the Delicious Better Me Tea, a tea designed to promote improved gut health and digestion, assisting those who struggle with constipation and sluggish bowel movements to go to the bathroom with ease. Today, Linda and I are talking all about constipation. This is a subject that is very close to my heart because I experienced it for 36 years before discovering I had SIBO. So we talk about the types of constipation, what you can look for if you suspect you might be constipated, and also things like why it's important for us to go to the toilet every day, why we want to be clearing out our bowels and why we might end up constipated. There's not one clear-cut answer as to why a person can end up with constipation. So we cover all of that. Plus, we answer the questions that we had submitted to us in the lead-up to this podcast recording. Uh, So thanks to all the people that submitted questions via the various SIBO Facebook groups and also the Healthy Gut platforms. Uh, If you would like to submit questions for any of my future guests, make sure you follow us on our Facebook page um, because I'm always popping in there that I'm going to be interviewing a guest and I love to answer as many questions as I can. So without further ado, I'd love to bring you the show with Linda and we're talking all about constipation. Welcome to the Healthy Gut Podcast, Linda Gripperich. It's wonderful to have you on the show today. It's fantastic to finally be on here after a few attempts. 
It is. So Linda has been so accommodating. I have really been knocked down by a nasty head cold in the last couple of weeks. And we had our podcast scheduled for the day I came down with it. And then I progressively got worse over a two-week period until I had absolutely no voice. So Linda, thank you so much for being so accommodating and uh, rescheduling for the third or fourth time so that we could finally get you on the show. My absolute pleasure. Just glad to hear that you're doing okay. (laughs) Yeah. Now we're going to be talking all about constipation today. The subject close to my heart. It's something I lived with for 36 years. But before we dive into that topic, I'd love for you to just give a little bit of background to the listeners so they can understand how you came to be an expert or someone that knows a lot on constipation. Yeah, good question. So I guess uh, my I've been in uh, practice a couple of times now. So originally, when I first graduated um, naturopathy, it was you know 2002. I went into practice. At the same time, I was trying to run that business and work two other um, businesses in order to pay for that actual business. And it, I was completely burnt out and threw in the towel after four years and just went to work for a supplement company for seven years. So dealing with practitioners and um, we were, you know, the leading educators, I guess, for practitioners as well as supplying them with fantastic products. And so during that time, I used to travel quite a bit for work and I would notice, even though, you know, I was a naturopath or am a naturopath and nutritionist, I would still come across constipation. And I guess my main symptom, everyone's got a pain point, don't they? And, you know, the thing that causes them to change. And for me, it was always feeling bloated and uncomfortable. And I almost felt like everyone just knew I was constipated because I just felt really bloated no matter what I did. So travel and um, stress were always quite a driver for me. Um so stepping out of that role, so I would do, you know, all the things I knew that would support, you know, movement and supplementation and eating well and all that sort of stuff. And then I went back into practice after seven years of working with this company and uh, uh, was working with a mentor and she actually said to me, you know, you might consider niching down as we all get sort of told to do, you know, niche down into a particular area of interest And because there's so many practitioners out there, how do you differentiate yourself? And I'd always been really interested in gut health. And in fact, we get a lot of patients for that reason. So we worked at who would come and see me. And it was a a clear tie between weight loss, people that wanted weight loss and people that wanted um, support with gut health. But my heart really went with the gut health side of things. And so for a period of time, I did weight loss and I did gut health. Wasn't really feeling the weight health, uh, loss side of things. I just saw it as a bit of a side effect for, you know, um, supporting other areas in someone's life, you know, like gut health. And I said to my partner, so many people are constipated, you know, I really want to niche down in that area. And he's like, really? Are you, how's that? you know, how's that going to work? You know? And I just went, you know what? There is, like I said before, there is a pain point that gets people to make changes in their life. And and when people are uncomfortable because they've been constipated for a number of years, you know, um, they're probably going once a week or sometimes in severe cases, like once or twice a month and they feel horrible, but they don't really know why they need to poo. And so I kind of 
found myself educating people on on why it was really important to go to the bathroom and because I can be quite you know I'm quite casual with my approach I can be a bit of a dork and I don't mind talking about poop as as do a lot of naturopaths I kind of thought well I'm going to try this out and see how it goes. And obviously constipation is a symptom. There's so many drivers. So I'm essentially still working a lot with gut health and and other conditions. But um, it was, I guess, the thing that would get people in the door, okay, I've got this, I can understand that I do need to go to the bathroom and this is something that's been troubling me for a number of years and so therefore I'll go go see Linda. And of course, yes, I've had my personal experience with it. So, And I feel like I'm at a point now, you know, 37 in a couple, 37, Jesus, 39 in a couple of weeks. And um, I feel like I'm really, I guess, in control as much as you can be of um, my bowel regularity. I know what my triggers are. And I really believe that, you know, I can support others through really simple measures and obviously doing the investigation um, where it's needed because it's not as simple as diet and lifestyle sometimes. So that was very long winded. talk about uh, what constipation actually means and as someone that uh, had constipation for like I said at the beginning 36 years I actually didn't know I was constipated because that was my normal I had been like that since day one and so you know when doctors occasionally would say you're constipated I'd say no I'm not so let's talk about what does it mean to be constipated and you know and are there varying uh, types of constipation yeah absolutely so I guess the the definition it, what's normal I guess is what what I'm trying to say the definition of what they say is what's normal is going anywhere between three times a day or three times a week now I guarantee that most people that just go three times a week, most of the time feel really uncomfortable. So I get people, I guess I've redefined the constipation in my world, that um, going once a day, having a complete bowel movement where you don't feel as though you could go more is, is healthy, regular bowel movements. And constipation can take different categories. So you could be going every day. But it could feel really incomplete. It could be pebble poos. You know, you know you could be going more. Some people even use digital um, uh, ways in which to get rid of their stool from their rectum, which sounds a bit gross, but it's, it's you know, people know that they could be going more and that's a way that they get it out. And lots of people find that they can only move their bowels with the support of an aid, like a, like a laxative of some sort or a colonic. So... Again, and and what might throw people out as well is sometimes constipation can even be um, what they call bowel overflow, where you're you've got fecal impaction, so you've got you know that buildup of feces in the intestines, and your body's just really trying to get rid of toxins from the body, which is what it does through its stools. Um, that it liquefies the stools, and that liquefied stool moves out through that, you know, small lumen that has, um, that's been created from the fecal impaction of the intestines. And so sometimes you can get that sort of anal seepage or that fecal seepage, um, which can also be a form of constipation as well. So I guess um, on the flip side, what you're looking to achieve is a daily complete bowel movement that comes out like, you know, an S shape or a C shape, like a sausage, you know, uh, not you know, not a lot of food particles on there, you know, not, not a lot of mucus or fat globules or anything like that. And it slides out easily. So there's no straining, no blood, that sort of thing. 
Mm. And for so many people, you know, they're not talking to others about what poo should look like. And so it's very hard to gauge whether your poo is right poo or not the right poo because <laughs> that's your poo. That's what you look at every day or however, however long it takes for you to have a bowel movement. For me, I was that person that was once or twice a week. But because I'd always felt, I'd always been like that, I remember, you know, being a young kid and thinking, I love, I love not having to go to the toilet. How boring having to do a poo every day. Um, And, you know, and so it just was my normal. And because it was my normal or, you know, my standard, my regular, I didn't know that I didn't feel good because I'd never felt anything else. And when I started going to the toilet every day, when I started to deal with my SIBO, I felt amazing. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God, now I get why people talk about euphoria with having a poo. I feel fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's almost like, um, you know, it's just a bit of an indicator of something else that is going on in the body that needs to be addressed. So, you know, and there's even bowel, um, uh, like bowel regularity apps out there that you can pop on your phone. Jeez, I mean, there's, a bowel, there's an app for everything, but there's one called Bowel Mover App. So you can start to become really aware of your bowel movement. So I really encourage people if they really just don't know what, how regular they are to start using that app. Because come to think of it, previous to, I guess, my studies in naturopathy, I don't really think I knew how often I went. I'm trying to reflect on, you know, what was my bowel movements like, you know, as a teen? I have no idea. I was just not aware. I was just not aware of my body, you know, and so I think, um, you know, it's only and lots of times people come across these other symptoms that they don't necessarily associate with constipation, like, you know, acne or, you know, SIBO and all those sort of conditions, you know, depression, anxiety, um, weight gain, all that sort of stuff that constipation can either, you know, contribute to or exacerbate. So, um, and that's when people seek support and then you can kind of dissect how regular are they and do they feel comfortable? Are they going every day? That sort of stuff. Cause some people actually believe because they are going every day that they are regular, except when you dig a bit deeper, um, it's really quite incomplete and we all kind of know what that feels like. It's like, oh, okay. That's, you know, a bit unsatisfying, you know? Mm. So let's talk about what poo actually is. Let's start at the the basics. Like what is fecal matter? Yeah, so it's 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 a great question. It's made up of bacteria. It's also made up of indigestible fiber. It's also made up of a, you know, a mixture of stuff that your body just doesn't need. You know, it takes what it needs and it gets rid of like that metabolic waste, medicines, you know, colorants, all that sort of stuff that our body no longer needs and water as well. So it contains all of those things um, predominantly. And why do we need to go to the toilet? Like what's the importance of going and, and why are we talking about constipation? And, and obviously, uh, you know, I... I would say that we want to get to a point where we're going to the toilet regularly. Why is that important? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the thing that really helps people um, create change by knowing these things is that the reason why we do move our bowels, consider it a form of human manufacturing. 
You know, the body takes on what it needs and it gets rid of what it doesn't need. And as I mentioned, our, you know, our still contains bacteria and like metabolic waste. It, um, it, it, um, it's also contains like breakdown of hormones. So if we're not getting rid of waste properly, like through our stools, it's not the only elimination system, then we're recycling that waste. And, that, you know, so we're recycling estrogen for example, and that can really mess with the way that we utilize, for example, our thyroid hormone. So it can really go on to affect the health of our thyroid. And not to mention that the thyroid is really sensitive to toxicity. So when we're recycling waste and we're not moving our bowels, we are prone to an increased amount of toxicity in the body and an increased amount of, of inflammation in the body as well. So when that's going on, say, for example, in the gut, that inflammation and toxicity, then, you know, it can stimulate the growth of bacteria. It can also lead to leaky gut, which I'm sure, you know, you guys have spoken about a lot in the in previous podcasts. And, you know, with leaky gut, you've got um, you know, the, the weakening of the intestinal cell walls. So undigested proteins, you know, fats, all that sort of stuff, toxins pass on through into the bloodstream and cause that sort of systemic inflammation. And that systemic inflammation can go on to affect other organs in our body. So it's, it all kind of really starts there. And, um, you know, again, it can, it can affect um, our ability to shed weight easily because if there's that systemic inflammation, for example, and that affects, say, for, for example, the hypothalamus, then it can affect our leptin resistance and so your ability to feel full and satiated. So it, it just really has this domino effect when we're not removing waste from the body. It's almost like not taking out the garbage, then it just decomposes and then it creates all this sort of, you know, those two key words that I like to look at, inflammation and toxicity in the body. Mm, definitely. And why is it that some people are prone to constipation? Oh, there's so many drivers. Look, where do I start? <laughs> Seriously, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll give you a couple of examples. Um let me look at some drivers. It could be as simple as dietary and lifestyle. So yes, absolutely. It could be the fact that they're not, you know, having enough healthy fats. They're not getting enough omega-3s. They're not getting enough, you know, um, fiber. But again, that really would depend. If someone has an overgrowth of um, bacteria in the small intestine, then you're going to be looking at, you know, what sort of fibers they're taking in. Then um, sedentary people as well. So people that don't really move the body too much or enough the body really likes moving it really supports bowel movement it really does stimulate and help those um, intestinal contractions otherwise known as peristalsis in the gut um, also things like Parkinson's disease believe it or not so what they've actually found is that um, chronic constipation precedes Parkinson's in about 80% of cases even before, you know, those motor systems start to develop, like the tremors and all that sort of stuff. And um, ways in which that it does that is by by affecting, I believe, a hormone or a protein called a synucline, I can never say that word, that really helps with the, the uh, contractions, the peristalsis in the digestive system. So uh, Parkinson's also, uh, you know, other 
organ dysfunction as well. And there's also different types of constipation, like I don't know if you've heard of um, dysnergia, which is basically when there is a lack of coordination or a dysfunction in the coordination between the, say, the, the pelvic muscles and the rectal muscles and the sphincter. So what happens when we need to go to the bathroom? There's like this action, there's abdominal pressure, there's rectal pressure, and then there's a relaxation of the sphincter muscles. And so sometimes when there's dysnergia, um, then there's a loss or a, a dysfunction in that coordination. So it's about retraining that coordination through things like biofeedback therapy. So again, that's a different different form of um, constipation altogether. Then you've got the hormonal influence as well. So there's, there's this endocrine influence of diabetes, um, you know, um, pregnancy as well. You'll often find people are constipated in pregnancy. As I mentioned before, thyroid, um, there's also a nerve, nerve sort of connection with things like multiple sclerosis and strokes and, you know, you name it. There are so many drivers, as you can see with constipation, but I guess where I come into it is, um, at that fundamental basic starting point. So I, I like to look at the dietary and lifestyle component. I, look, I like to look at um, obviously movement and breath. And I also like to look at, you know, how they're setting up their morning routine as well, because how we set up that morning routine, you know, should be in that more relaxed state because it really supports that gastrocolic reflex that helps us, you know, push poop on through. If we're getting up and we're running out the door, I know certainly for me, I just don't go. So it's a matter of, you know, implementing, um, you know, a bit of relaxation in the morning in the sense of it could just be 10 minutes, could be 10 minutes of movement. It could be, you know, sipping on a tea, you know, uh, setting up your day, for example, it could be doing a bit of breath work. It could be doing a you know guided meditation, whatever, you know, resonates with you. Does that answer your question? It does. <laughs> and what I think is really interesting is I, now that my constipation has um, resolved so much from where it was, um, but what I really notice is when my routine is out, either when I'm traveling, like when I was traveling overseas in the States and Canada recently, and, you know, I was, I was on the opposite side of the world, but my circadian rhythms were out. That really had an impact on my ability to um, go to the toilet every day. Or if I haven't slept well, or if I'm having to get up early, like you say, when your routine's out, it really, I really notice that has an impact. And so my normal routine is that I'll get up and I'll go to the toilet first thing in the morning. And sometimes I might go again later in the day. But I find that when my, if, if my routine is quite stressed or hurried, first thing in the morning that has a that's an immediate stop to me opening my bowels and I'll find that that really pushes it back many hours into the day and sometimes I might not be going till the evening and I'll be thinking gosh you know where is this poo come on poo (laughs) but you know what the beautiful thing about that is you are so aware of it you know, lots of people are really not aware of it until they start to really track their pooping patterns. And then they're like, okay, you know, uh, yes, I was particularly stressed yesterday. I was in a hurry. 
didn't give myself enough time in the morning or I sat on my bum at work for 10 hours and did not move. So, you know, people start to become, or I'm taking a medication and this is really disrupting my bowel movements, which is a biggie too. You really want to look at someone's medication list because that can be really constipating. Um, So it's a great thing because I think as practitioners, we don't want people to see us every single month of the year. We want to be able to see them for a period of time and then they're on their way. They, they just come when, they're, when something else comes up for them. But mostly we want to educate people enough that they become really body aware, you know, and so they're, then they're able to prevent chronic illness because they're able to really support the human manufacturing so I love it when people are like, oh, I really know I didn't go yesterday, but I think it was because of this. It's like, excellent. This is great. <laughs> because when I first saw you, you had no idea, you know, you were umming and ahhing about, oh, I think it's complete. Oh, actually, I'm not quite sure. Did I go today? Not sure. So I, I absolutely love it when people are really, really aware of what triggers they have. And certainly for me, as with you, travel is still a big one for me. So I still, you know, I experiment with things, you know, I experiment with making sure, you know, I sleep as much as I can close to my normal time, even when I'm on the plane, you know, so it's my body's not trying to go to the loo while I'm asleep, um, that I'm, you know, eating enough um, uh, healthy fats prior to jumping on the plane. And when I get there, setting myself up, I mean, me and my partner will grab the apple cider vinegar. If we're in a self-contained place and we have access to that, we'll grab some apple cider vinegar, we'll grab some healthy fats like, you know, avocado or, you know, ghee or butter or whatever it might be. Um, and we'll make sure we move throughout the holiday. So if we have been constipated, I'm sure, I don't even think he has a problem, believe it or not. But if, um, if I have been constipated, I just make sure on the other end, I support myself so it doesn't last for longer than a day. Mm. And something else I do as well is obviously I um, always drink lots of water um, because of the dehydrating effect of the the plane travel. And I, when, whenever I um, get to my new destination and, and I'm going back and forth between the States and Australia quite frequently at the moment, um, I get out as soon as I've dumped my bags, I'll have a shower and I will then go out and I'll go for a walk and I'll try and walk for about half an hour, just gently, not a crazy stressful walk. Um, I get sun on my face if it's daytime. I'm trying to, you know, really ground myself to my new locale and, you know, tell myself, okay, well, it's now 11am or whatever time it is there and, um, and really try and start that movement as soon as I, as soon as I get there. And like you say, I'm very conscious of the food, um, I find that despite the fact that I no longer have SIBO and haven't had it for two and a bit years now, um, travelling on the plane is a really aggravating time for my gut. I am guaranteed to bloat regardless of what I do or don't eat. I could fast the entire flight and I will still bloat. So I end up very gassy and um, quite constipated just from the flying alone and I'd put that down to the pressure and the dehydration and, and all of that. Um, so I think being 
gentle with yourself as well when you travel or when you're doing something that's out of routine and 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 allowing yourself that time to breathe to move gently making sure you've got plenty of fluids if you're going on holiday not going and sitting at the bar and and drinking every alcoholic drink in sight as I know that is you know often the case for many people on holiday they think yes I'm on holiday I'm going to go and get uh, have a few drinks um but I really, you know, the first day particularly, I think it's really about um, replenishing the body from what you've just gone through. Um, Definitely. Once- and, and trying to avoid in the beginning, especially the if you're, if you're um, experiencing constipation in the first day or so, trying to avoid as much as you can those trigger foods like um, gluten or dairy, which can be quite constipating for, for some and really affects that gut lining and integrity that you know can contribute to things like leaky gut so i think um best off avoiding those things as best as you can in the first day or so and i know when you you know you might want to travel to italy and try a beautiful calzone and you might not want to hold back and all that sort of stuff so it's not always realistic but if you're feeling really uncomfortable and you want to get on top of it pretty quickly then just implementing all those things like like we've mentioned Mm. now you talk about nutrition um, being a component of what you look at with people um when i knew that i was uh finally we were going to be speaking I put some I put a call out to my community and asked if people had any questions that like us to cover and, and not surprisingly there's a, quite a bit about nutrition and one of the people that uh, contacted me said that when she eats carbs she's able to um, open her bowels but when she reduces her carbs as is so common with a SIBO diet um, that causes constipation despite the fact that she eats plenty of fruit, nuts and vegetables. And she's just wondering why eating carbs like rice or some potato would support her going to the toilet. Yeah. And look, is, and is that the carbohydrates that she's referring to? Uh, I'm not sure. She didn't specify, but knowing what is allowed on a SIBO diet, it, people will generally eat rice or um, they might be able to tolerate potato mm. and you know what i think you know this is so we are so different because some may actually find it depends on where you're starting from if you're starting from say a paleo-ish sort of way of eating you may experience that um you know you might be experiencing something very different to the person that's going from a high carbohydrate diet down to something that's predominantly protein and healthy fats so i think Oh, look, I think there's probably a number of reasons for that. I would look at the amount of protein that she's actually having as well and making sure that it's not excessive, that, that you're keeping to around about a palm portion of protein and making sure as well, this is one of the things that I like to recommend people when it comes to looking at their diet is that we don't want to go, especially if you're constipated, we don't want to go excessive protein beyond that point of, say, a palm portion. And I don't like to weigh things, to be honest. So I like, I think, well, people can take their palm wherever they go loosely. That's how much you want. We don't need more than that. And aiming for, I guess, grass-fed and organic wherever possible so you're not taking on those things that are going to disrupt uh, the gut microbiome even further and create gut dysbiosis. But what happens with excessive protein is that there can be putrefaction or tr- putrefaction in the gut which is basically rotting um a protein can readily rot in the gut especially in people that do have constipation vegetables not so not as readily and it can really place a high demand on the the liver um 
and it can produce these uh, toxic byproducts like ammonia, which again, as I mentioned, can really place a high level, uh, high demand on the liver that tries to excrete these uh, toxins, and can also uh, place a high demand on and be quite taxing on the stomach that may not be producing enough enough hydrochloric acid in order to um, break these foods down. Um, healthy fats as well. I'd be looking at the amount of healthy fats she's having. So is she going from a place of high carbohydrate? Again, I'd have to look at how her formula of her meal looks like. I try to get people to be eating, you know, a palm portion of protein, about three cups, which sounds a lot, but when it's raw, it's three cups. And when you cook it, it reduces down, obviously, of healthy fibrous vegetables. Again, this is going to be different for a SIBO patient because you're going to have to pull out certain fibrous veggies, plant foods, and then making sure you're getting about two tablespoons of healthy fats because healthy fats are going to support bowel movements as well. Um, But yeah, look, I don't know if I can 100% answer that question to be honest because I think that it's it really depends on the person I know myself if I was to be now introducing quite a bit of um, rice or starchy carbohydrates I'd probably have a different outcome I'd probably feel quite bloated and quite constipated so you know it's it's we've all got a very different microbial makeup you know, it doesn't all look the same. So our response to certain foods is very different. And as you've you've um, mentioned a few times in the past in your podcast that certain SIBO foods you've been able to have, not knowing that they were to be pulled out, but they were still okay, you know. So I think that um, our tolerance of certain foods are, are slightly different. And, you know, it's I don't think it's so black and white an answer to that. But again, I would just go back to her and say, you know, look at the amount of protein you're eating. Once you've jumped on the SIBO diet, look at the amount of healthy fats you're eating as well. And maybe even supplementing with, you know, um, omega-3s because healthy fats, like especially omega-3s, have been known to improve the diversity and the function of our microbiota, which is awesome. You know, and that's what we actually want to achieve. We want to achieve a real diverse looking gut microbiota. And it's the function of these bacteria that really support us. And omega-3s have been known to do this. And as well as being anti-inflammatory to the body. So I would look at, again, those things. I don't know if that completely answers your question. But uh, I don't think it can be so black and white when it comes to diet. As you've you know, probably realized yourself with this SIBO journey. It never is black and white, particularly when it comes to the gut. Um, just on, on omega-3s, where's the best way um, for people to get omega-3s? Should they be doing it through supplements or that, should they be looking at omega-3 rich foods? Yeah, good question. I think if you have access to a good fishmonger and you're able to get wild or wild caught fish, then get it from a, a good fishmonger that that uh, is able to provide that. I think that the problem with, we try to do our best wherever we can, but with farmed fish, you run the risk of taking on the antibiotics and all the other chemicals that it's those animals are given. And that can further disrupt, you know, our gut microbiome makeup. So I think if if you don't have access to a good fishmonger who, you know, doesn't have who regularly has these wild or white claw wild caught fish, then I would supplement with um, an omega-3 supplement. But again, you want to make sure you're getting good quality. There's certain practitioner only brands that um, have uh, 
fish oils that have been tested for heavy metals and have had those things removed. Um, I think just going to your local um, chemist or, you know, warehouse or health food store and just picking one off up off the shelf is not necessarily a great idea because not all fish oil is equal or the same. I think really just getting a really good quality, prac only, um, high strength fish oil would really support you if you have constipation or even if you have, you know, anxiety, as people often do in cases of SIBO, you know, um, mood disorders. And if there's lots of inflammation, I think that would be a good supplement to take. But as well, just getting lots of healthy fats in your diet as much as you can, obviously, um, SIBO or non-SIBO um, using you know those sources of ghee or butter if you can tolerate uh, you know organic or grass-fed butter and um, you know avocado and those sort of coconut oil and macadamia oil and those things are good sources. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey guys, do you feel completely overwhelmed when it comes to figuring out what you can eat that's suitable for a SIBO diet? I know that I felt so overwhelmed at the start of my SIBO journey. And let's be honest, eating for SIBO can be challenging. It can downright suck at points. You've already got so much going on. You've got your treatments. You're trying to remember to take all your medications and your supplements And not to mention all of the daily symptoms that you have to experience, the pain, the bloating, the constipation or diarrhea or both, and the brain fog and exhaustion. The list just goes on. Having someone else take that hassle away from you for planning your food can make your day just that little bit easier. And this is where I've come to your rescue. I've developed SIBO meal plans just for you. They take all of the stress away from planning your SIBO daily food intake. They're based on the SIBO biphasic diet by Dr. Narala Jacoby, and each meal plan is just for the specific phase it relates to. So you may be on phase one restricted or phase one semi-restricted or phase two reduce and repair. And there is a meal plan just for you. We've got 14 days of SIBO-friendly meals and recipes included. There's weekly shopping lists. There's handy hints and tips to make cooking easier. And every recipe is 100% gluten-free. The recipes are low-grain. We only use a little bit of rice or quinoa in the recipes depending on what phase you're following, of course. All the recipes are low carbohydrate, very low dairy, low sugar, and there are low FODMAP options included. The great news is that you can download it instantly and you can get cooking today. If you'd like to know more about the SIBO meal plans, head to thehealthygut.co forward slash SIBO hyphen meal hyphen plans or head to the show notes 
from today's episode and just click on the link there. I hope you enjoy the meal plans, guys. I know it's going to save you so much time, energy and effort and help you be compliant to your SIBO diet as you go through your treatment. Now let's get back to the show. Mm, And I tell you what, as someone that avoided fat like it was the plague, um, now that I eat a lot of fat in my diet, I'm more of the, I'm now sort of more of the ketogenic way of eating, which is much higher fat, moderate protein, lots of veggies and and much lower carb, because that really seems to suit me well. Um, But I feel great for my fat. I actually really look forward to the fat in my meal. And it is a complete about face from where I used to be because I used to avoid it. But today I'm so much healthier than I was when I was avoiding fat. So I'm all for eating good fat. And it's very satisfying as well. I was very scared of fat too, you know, growing up. And now it's something that I really crave. Like I really feel it supports my brain function. And it really, for me, gives me energy for you know and I don't I'm not a snacker and I don't actually advocate snacking I feel like if you get the formula right for your three main meals that there's really no need to to snack um and I really feel like a big component of that is making sure that you are getting enough healthy fats within every meal to support brain function and hormone health of course um and colon health I mean as I mentioned before not only the microbiome loves healthy fats, but the intestinal cell walls are made up of fats. So in order to do their job well, they they need their fuel. So, um, you know, lots of reasons to love the fat. Yeah, definitely. And and I've got to say, I'm like you, Linda, I, I have three meals a day if I'm eating three meals a day or I do I fast for two days um, or I'll do a six, um, what is it, 16, eight window where I'm fasting for 16 hours and eat for eight. I'm kind of chopping and changing um, quite a bit, but I don't eat nearly as much as I used to. And I find that the fat component in my meal just keeps me going for hours Absolutely. and even if I'm having a salad so I really love salad type vegetables and luckily I've always been able to tolerate them even at the height of my SIBO I could still eat raw vegetables which you know I'm, I'm very grateful for um, but I'll make up a big bowl of salad I might have easily four cups of vegetables I'll have some form of protein in it and then I'll add you know some gorgeous olive oil or I'll have some I can tolerate avocado or I might put in some macadamia nuts or whatever the fat component is I tell you what I am full I'm full for ages and I'm not even thinking about um, snacking because I just have absolutely zero need to go and snack and particularly now that I've um, really flipped my diet so it's so much lower carbohydrate I don't get those awful mood swings I don't get the shakes I used to go into these very you know uncomfortable um, hyperglycemic fits where I'd you know be shaking and I'd felt so weak and horrible none of that exists in my life anymore and I just feel very stable my brain feels like it's got, you know, the right fuel to operate. My moods are a lot more stable and it's been a really great change, um, you know, really strong impact on my life by just flipping around the proportions of the food that I'm eating. 
Oh, 100%. And and that's the interesting thing about the fasting. I know it's become very popular of late. And, you know, if if I do recommend it, it's usually that 13-hour restricted time feeding, which is, you know, you finish eating at, let's say, 6 p.m. and don't eat until, you know, 7 or 8 the next day. But I'm not 100% sure that it's amazing for constipated people. I'd love to see a bit more research on it. I've done my best to have a look. For me, it's not amazing. I think it's not it's not great for for um, promoting regular bowel movements for me, but I've heard others experience something very different. So, and I guess a big part of what, what I do is retrain people to have enough plant food with every meal because lots of it is deficient. And sometimes it can be as simple as just correcting the formula in a meal for people to get their bowels moving completely. So I, I don't know where I sit with the whole fasting thing when it comes to constipation. I, as I said, I would really like to do a study on it or find out more. You know, and I personally find that it, it for me it varies, and it's all to do with my emotional state and the time I allow for myself. So on the days um, I, I will happily have a bowel movement on a day that I'm fasting when I may be affected is the following day. Yes, and so for me, I just need to make sure that I'm setting up the time to do what you said earlier to make sure I've done some movement that I'm not getting up in the morning and racing out the door, that I'm that I am having breakfast the following morning and that really can often help stimulate a bowel um, movement for me if it hasn't already happened. And that I like you say, just having, you know, some good practices in place so that I can um, keep that waste moving through. Definitely. And it makes sense when you think about the um, uh, what we're trying to aim for with the, the digestive transit time is anywhere between 16 to 24 hours. So it doesn't surprise me that the following day is when you're feeling it. And that's generally what happens to me. And um, But I have to say, on, it's what's really bizarre is on the weekends, I'm able to say, do a buttered coffee and be fine until lunch. But it's during the week when I really, when businesses, you know, having to throw myself into work that I feel like I cannot just get away with say a buttered coffee or missing breakfast. It's almost like my body just chews it all up because it just needs that fuel in order to function well. So again, I'd really love to see a little bit more on that. Mm. Let's talk about structural issues because I had quite a few comments from people just saying, can we talk about pelvic floor and, um, you know, what, how that, you know, my, my weak pelvic floor may be impacting um, my constipation and what people can be doing about, um, you know, muscular tone, whether there's anything that they can do to help support that if that's what they feel is um, one of the underlying causes of their constipation. Yeah. And, and again, like the, the drivers for pelvic floor would be very, very different, but pelvic floor is, is otherwise known as that dyspnea that I keep talking about. And it's, it's an acquired defecation disorder. So that, that coordination is lost. So outside of um, a biofeedback therapy, I hear is really great for those things. And that kind of looks like it sounds a bit invasive, but apparently it works really, really well. I believe it's got a bit of a, like a 75% um, success rate. And so I think what happens with biofeedback therapy is they um, pop like a balloon uh, like thing into your rectum and it's got like a, a stick at the end of it. And you're um, obviously this is done with motility expert and um, you're asked to contract and relax and all that sort of stuff. So it's almost like retraining those muscles, like the abdominal muscles, the rectal muscles and the sphincter muscles to be contracting and relaxing at the right time. Um, 
other than that, what I will recommend as well, which will, which is quite good for that coordination or that pelvic floor dysfunction, is to use something like those squatty stools. So, you know, very other companies like Squatty Potty does it. There's, I think, Aussie Crapper um, does a good stool as well and um, Aussie Squatter. And that's just basically a wooden or a plastic stool that you put underneath the toilet, so around the toilet, I should say. And it's a way in which that you can have a, a squatting like action without physically squatting on top of the toilet rim and uh, it just allows the sigmoid colon which is like the final bit of the large intestine before it becomes the rectum um, it allows that to straighten so it gives us a better angle to poop because apparently sitting is just not the greatest way to defecate so it's interesting that that was actually the toilet was made as it was it should actually be um should have been made in a way that allows us to squat to have proper evacuation. Um, And I would probably say, again, going back to exercise, exercise really, really supports bowel tone, helps to keep the intestines in place, and it helps to, especially core exercises as well as spinal exercises, really help to support, again, the bowel tone, but it gives the, the muscles of the intestines something to work against. So, you know, those intestinal, um, those intestines are muscles as well. So they do need to be exercised and they do need to work well. Um, well, they, they need to be exercised in order to work well. And what I will say, I'm a massive fan of breath work. So I think that there's so many different types, the ones that I like to tap into. And I think this goes the same as guided meditation. You try a few and you, you know, stick with whatever resonates or you might find that you get bored of one and you try another. But the ones that I tend to recommend are the breath of fire. It's otherwise known as the cleansing breath. Have you heard of the breath of fire, Brett? No, I haven't actually. So it sounds like a dog panting. So basically you, you generally do it with your hands up, but you don't have to have your hands up. And it sounds like... So it's basically short, sharp, rapid breaths from your nose. And that really helps to stimulate um, the digestive organs like the esophagus, the stomach and the intestines. So it really helps to support those. And it also helps to support the nervous system. So if you are prone to having stress exacerbate your constipation then breath of fire will be really great for you. And it supports the other elimination organs as well. So highly recommend, I highly recommend, um, uh, breath work and exercise. Um, the other forms of breath work, something I really want to get into is the Buteco breathing. I don't know too much about it at this stage, but it's certainly one that, um, I want to delve into a little bit more and guided meditation. So again, that's just allowing, that's a bit more of a gentler breath. That's just allowing a bit of stillness and a bit of a breath, um, anywhere between 10 minutes or longer than that, but just really that single pointed focus. And you could just be focusing on the point between your brow or, you know, looking at a candle really helps to quieten down a busy mind. Um, other ways in which you can, I guess, support pelvic floor dysfunction outside of breath and exercise and biofeedback. Let me think. I'm sure um, an exercise physiologist would have a lot more, you know, specific things that would really support pelvic floor dysfunction. Um, Vagal tone exercise as well. So I know that you spoke a little bit about this with your, uh, with another podcast member, which I absolutely love that podcast, by the way. She spoke about the vagal tone exercises. 
but the um, vagus tone is essentially the the biggest parasympathetic nerve, and it uh, really supports gut motility. So it really supports that action that pushes poop on through and waste on through, but it really increases the dopamine production in the brain. So it supports, um, and dopamine is actually really important for peristalsis and gut movement too, believe it or not. So exercising that, again, you can probably go back to that podcast that you had a little bit before with the gargling, which is what I've just started doing. Again, I think those effects would be quite subtle, but they would really support an exercise bowel tone or the intestines. So gargling vigorously until you can't do it any longer um, as and multiple times a day. I don't know how realistic that is for lots of people. So I tend to just tell them you know, morning and night when you're brushing your teeth. Other than that, singing and um, as I think it was your podcast member or another podcast that had spoken about, you know, singing at really different ranges. So really having lots of different ranges in your um, voice when you do sing out loud that really supports a vagal tone as well and that there are vagal stimulators called the nirvana which i think is just newly available in australia that you can get i've not tried that but again the vagus nerve um, really supports you know bow tone and function so hopefully that's giving you some yeah definitely and some other questions that i got were around supplements and, um, you know, things like laxatives or prokinetics or magnesium. Do you have any sort of preferred supplements or external things that people can take that, um, that might be able to help them uh, go to the toilet? Even, you know, some of the pharmaceuticals for um, you know, laxatives for, you know, for quite severe constipation. Uh, you know, should people be moving to those things to get a bowel movement happening or should they be looking at more uh, natural solutions? Well, I would always try to work with the natural ones first. And so those would be, my preferred ones would be magnesium. So magnesium bisglycinate, that's really going to support bowel movements and the nervous system as well. So again, if stress is a driver, as I mentioned, omega-3 would be quite supportive too. Um, Apple cider vinegar, it's a bit of a subtle one, but that can really support the production of stomach acid. So again, helps with the breakdown of foodstuffs, but also really um, supports people that do have SIBO. It helps to break down biofilm as well, which we won't get into. Um, What else? Certain herbs as well are really supportive for improving bowel function. So um, the tea that I've... I've, um, I sent to you a little while back contains things like licorice and fennel and aniseed and uh, ginger and cane, which is quite supportive for stimulating bowel movements. What I will say about laxatives, so there's three different types. There's the bulking laxatives, like the you know your bran and your psyllium, and then you've got your osmotic laxatives, which are your say your magnesium and your lactulose and um, sorbitol and then you've got your stimulant sort of laxatives like your senna those things that sort of contain your anthraquinones like senna and rhubarb and that sort of stuff when you're using laxatives like your stimulant laxatives um more than three times a week they say for like say a year or longer then you really run the risk of disrupting gut barrier health but also you can run the risk of um, changing the anatomy and physiology of um, the structures 
So in your colon, it's called the cathartic colon, for want of a better word. So if you're using, overusing laxatives, then you're creating, you're potentially creating that situation. You also, you can create things like an electrolyte imbalance, which can, which is not amazing because that can lead to things like tremors and it can really affect the health of our heart. Um, and it can really be dehydrating as well when we're overusing laxatives. So I would really implement um, supplementation, really upping those those dietary changes. So fiber as much as we can. Again, obviously, SIBO is very different. Um, you know, making sure you're getting healthy fats, not overeating protein, apple cider vinegar, meal hygiene is huge. And again, you spoke about this in depth in a podcast recently about chewing your food properly, um, not eating with technology, not having large glasses of water with your meal that really disrupts the way that we break down food and causes gas and all that sort of uncomfortable stuff. Um, And apparently when we're using stimulant laxatives for a long period of time as well, it can lead to something called melanosis coli, which is basically a change in the pigmentation of the colon wall. So I think when it comes to meds for laxative use. I'm not a big fan. I'd much rather go down the route of uh, dietary changes, movement changes, supplementation. Lactulose might be good for some people too. So if you can tolerate it, um, but those ones are going to be a little bit gentler on the intestinal health, the overall overall digestive health. And what we're trying to aim, or certainly what I'm trying to aim with my patients is to um, retrain their lazy colon, you know, for want of a better word for it, like retrain their bowel behavior, you know, so they don't, um, so they're not having to rely on these outside influences for want of a better word. Can you explain the difference between a laxative and a prokinetic? Um, there's a lot of talk about prokinetics in the online forums for SIBO, and, and I think it would be good for us just to, you know, class, give a good um, explanation around what the difference is between them. So if anyone isn't sure, hopefully this clears it up for them. Well, I hope that I am able to. <laughs> um, so a prokinetic, basically, so, oh, yeah, absolutely. I'd never even mentioned the prokinetics. The prokinetics really support that cleansing wave in the small intestine. So in the smaller intestine, we have a different kind of peristalsis, for want of a better word. So we've got a different kind of intestinal wave, and that really helps to push you know, food and bacteria through to the large intestine. And that wave is called the um, migrating motor complex. So the prokinetics really support that action. So it really supports the, that, that sort of contraction in the small intestine. Um, and it's what we recommend people stay on after SIBO treatment, because there is that common theme of having a relapse with SIBO. So that constantly supports the migrating motor complex, which is why people might have put um, been put on a prokinetic for a longer period of time following their treatment. Um, Because as we know, that dysmotility in the small intestine can be a big driver for SIBO. And then the, the laxatives are more, I guess, localized to the large intestine. So again, there's those different types, the bulking laxative that, um, 
is like your bran and your psyllium that sort of um, bulks up the stool and helps to stimulate peristalsis, so that contraction in the large intestine called peristalsis to, to move the food waste and the poop on through. The osmotic laxative it like draws water into the intestinal lumen and that's the and it acts as a laxative in that way. And the stimulant laxative is the one that sort of it can directly affect the enteric nervous system. So that nervous system in the gut that stimulates a peristalsis. So Again, it's like it's, it's, it's more concentrated in that large intestine, whereas the prokinetic still supports intestinal movement, but in a different area in the intestines or in the um, digestive system. I hope that clears that one up. That does. Thank yeah. you for that. Um, what about colonics? If somebody's feeling completely backed up and, uh, and I have, um, you know, I've spoken to people that the they use colonics regularly because they feel it's the only way they can they can eliminate the waste out of their bowels. Um, should we be using colonics? Are they safe for us to be doing regularly? Look, I um, have had many people come to see me that um, have been using colonics and they are really addicted to it because it does make them feel cleaner. It makes them feel like they've evacuated their bowels and there's probably a little bit of fear that they haven't gone. And that's that's one thing I want to say. This is not a fear thing you know it's more about retraining the bowels and getting it to a regular state so colonics wise I think they have their place I think the problem is when it becomes too regular for people like laxative use then the bowels become lazy and they kind of forget what they need to do and what people generally find with a, a um colonic is that they don't tend to go like for one or two days after a colonic. So what it does, it, it uh, draws water obviously in the intestinal lumen and uh, it's, it can be hydrating. It's great for that fecal impaction that I've spoke about a little bit in the, in the beginning. So that buildup of fecal matter, say if you've had chronic constipation for a number of years, it helps to break down that. And it also helps to, I believe, break down biofilm as well. So that those, that kind of um, matrix that sits over bacteria and then kind of houses the persister cells and um, you know, so that it breaks that down and helps remove that. Apparently it's good for meth methanogen um, removal as well. So methano Brevi, Bacter, Smith. I always want to say schnitty, like schnitzel, but it's schnitty, schmitty. Um, and so it has its place. What I would say with a colonic, um, you'd want to not have, I believe, more than, say, six goes in a year, depending on your situation, depending on your situation, because what happens is usually about that third trip. So maybe you've, you've, you've had one every week for three weeks. And it's usually about that third week in that you're really starting to remove old stuff. And then a good practitioner, generally in these um, centers, they will have naturopaths or nutritionists or people to support you and hopefully give you guidance. And a good practitioner will always say, okay, I don't want to see you for a year or whatever it might be. But I see time and time again, people go, okay, well, I went and had a colonic because I just wouldn't have gone otherwise. I didn't go for a week. So therefore they're going absolutely every week. And I think there's a real danger in that. I can, I really believe you'd really start to disrupt the diversity of bacteria in your gut as well as the function of those bacteria um and again i just i yeah i'm not a fan long term again it does have its place um but not as a regular thing 
Mm. So we've talked about becoming aware of your body and and, um, and that that's one of the first steps by the sounds of things that you do with your um, patients. How, if someone's listening to this today and they're thinking, okay, I think that's me, I think I've got constipation, what would you say are the first steps you would recommend for anybody to do who, who's wanting to address um, their constipation in a holistic manner? Yeah, there's different areas, obviously, but you definitely want to be looking at diet. So start there, look at, you know, how much plant food are you getting in every meal? Are you getting enough fibrous veg, you know, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, again, different with SIBO. So, you know, there's just a proviso, there's just a bit of a disclaimer. Um, so you'd be looking at, am I getting enough with every meal? Am I getting enough healthy fats with every meal? Is it devoid of healthy fats? Do I even have protein in my meals? Some people just don't have protein in their meals. They're just sitting down to a bucket load of veg and some fats, you know, and very minimal protein. So supporting detox pathways by having enough protein, but not too much. Um, I'd make sure that you're moving your body throughout the day. So even if you're at work and you have a seated desk and not a standing desk, making sure maybe you're making a business call, um, you know, you take a walk and you make a business call, um, that you do tend to alternate between standing and sitting. I think the, um, I have a standing desk, but I do alternate between standing and sitting because I can get a bit lazy with my standing where I'll lean to one side and I'll push a hip out. And I feel actually quite uncomfortable if I stand for the entire day. So I think movement in general um, and be like the centenarians, like the people in those blue zones like uh, Sardinia and um, Okinawa and Ikaria, they live to over 100 years old and they just move the body. They don't necessarily exercise, not saying don't exercise, but they get movement throughout their day. So instead of say using equipment in the kitchen, they're using their hands to mix the cake. You know, they're, they're walking, walking everywhere. Um, they're just moving their body throughout the day. So get movement. There are even apps, believe it or not, that you can download onto your phone that reminds you to a get water and also reminds you to move. So try to get movement every 45 minutes if you can. And it could just be getting up to go to the loo or going to speak to a colleague if you work in a corporate environment or, you know. So I think looking at that, you'd be surprised how many people don't drink enough water. It sounds so simplistic, but just making sure that you're aiming for at least 1.5 litres purified water, um, trying not to make it too cold. Um, I think the body really does like a bit of warmth um, rather than that cold, constrictive sort of feel of um, really, really freezing water. Um, squatting as well. So that's a simple thing that you could do. And you don't need to buy a squatty potty if you don't want to. You can always pop something underneath. You can make your own um, your makeshift wooden thing that you can pop underneath your loo. Um Outside of that, I've actually got a bit of a, a 15 steps on my website that I can share with you as well, share with your listeners. So I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So just a few, because I'm sure I'm forgetting a few things there. But I think outside of that, if you don't, none of those things work and you've really made a diligent effort of setting up a morning routine, not rushing out the door, um, 
and moving the body and dietary stuff, go and seek support. There is so many things that you can do. You know, there, there is further investigation that can be done. So, you know, if, there, if uh, stool testing needs to be done to see if there's an underlying pathogen or something that is causing and wreaking havoc in, um, with bowel behavior, then that can be sorted. If there's SIBO, definitely you want to look at that because, you know, as we know, methane dominant SIBO and even IBS constipation can, um, it can be a big problem, big factor of, um, constipated folk. So making sure that you're getting the right treatment in those areas, because as you're aware, like great food affects those people, you know? So you really want to make sure that you're getting support if the obvious things aren't working, but start with the obvious things, then the other things can be, um, you know, you, you probably need a fresh set of eyes looking at the situation. Say, for example, if you're, um, you feel like there's a pelvic floor dysfunction there and you um, need to go see a motility expert to um, look at, you know, doing a, a digital Exa- examination like a rectal examination or anal man- manometry all those things can be done but again start with the basics you know you might find it's simply that it's simply that you're running out the door and you're you know you're not you're not eating breakfast and you're not having any water and you're you know scoffing down a coffee and nothing else so um yeah there's so many things to to be done and there's so much support and definitely no shame because there's a bucket load of constipated folk out there I tell you yeah uh, <laughs> and they're and I think that um, the thing to remember is that it can change. I was constipated for 36 years and now yes. I go to the toilet every day. So it can change. Um, totally. don't, don't give up hope. <laughs> no, definitely not. Linda, it's been wonderful having you onto the show today. If people would like to connect with you, and I'll obviously have your uh, a link to your 15 uh, steps on constipation on the show notes from today, but how can they get in touch with you? Beautiful. Well, Linda Griprich, so my website's just lindagriprich.com and then Instagram and Facebook, just Linda Griprich. And, yeah, there's there's lots of information on my website, blog posts. There's even an online constipation program and lots of support there. So um, go check it out if you um, wanted to connect. Wonderful. And those links are all in the show notes as well. So, Linda, once again, thank you so much for coming on the Healthy Gut Podcast. Thank you so much, Rebecca. I've loved it. It's great to connect. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Linda Gripperich. It was so much fun talking about all things poo and constipation. If you would like to get the show notes from today's episode, which contains the links to all of those amazing resources that she mentioned, including her 15-step checklist on what you can do if you have constipation, then just head to my website, thehealthygut.co forward slash constipation and you'll be able to get all of those links there. Now I know many people that have constipation and I'm sure you do too so do them a favor and share this episode with them. 
There's so much helpful information in this show that really will help ease some of the suffering that the that my fellow constipated people are experiencing every day. So it would be really great if you could share this episode far and wide. And also make sure you leave a rating and review in iTunes. It really helps people know that this is the right show for them, um, particularly when they're looking for information around gut health. And make sure you come say hi to us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Pinterest and Google+. Just look for us under The Healthy Gut. Coming up on next week's show, we're celebrating our first birthday. Hooray! I can't believe I have been doing this for a whole year. It's crazy and I'm just so thrilled to be able to bring you really interesting interviews every single week. So next week, I've got a little celebration to celebrate being one. (laughs) So I look forward to sharing that with you guys next week. See you then. You've been listening to the Healthy Gut Podcast with your host, Rebecca Coombs. To learn more about the Healthy Gut or our podcast, head to thehealthygut.co forward slash podcast. And as we are fully funding this podcast, if you would like to help support the continuation of this podcast so that we can continue to bring you future episodes, all you need to do is make a contribution at thehealthygut.co forward slash podcast. We would like to thank Belinda Coombs for the production, editing and original music score of this podcast. To hear more of Belinda's music, head to soundcloud.com forward slash Belinda Coombs. The Healthy Gut Podcast is a production of The Healthy Gut. Thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.